Welcome to Give by Design. Welcome to the Community Investment Network's podcast, Give by Design, the network where people intentionally and collectively give while also striving to connect and strengthen communities of color. Whether it be your time, talent, treasure, or your testimony, we hope that this podcast will engage and inspire you to elevate the voice of Black giving and philanthropy in your communities. Giving circles have a unique ability to create awareness using social platforms and networks while increasing our impact in underutilized communities. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today is all about the power of our voice and how we are using it during this moment. As you all know, this is um, what I believe are, uh, is a crucial time in our country's history. Um, and so I asked Ms. Gilbert to join us today to number one, help us understand the historical context of where we are right now. Um, and also what type of actions that we as giving circles can take during this moment and how should we even consider doing um, our work differently. Um, and so with that, I'm going to turn it over um, to Ms. Gilbert. Uh, but before I do that, let me just give you all um, some background. All of you all should know that she's what we consider the matriarch of our organization. Um, Without Ms. Gilbert, there would not be a CIN. Um, and so when you think of a legacy, uh, what a beautiful legacy I believe that this is, um, that we are reaping from her hard work and diligence in this space. So uh, let me just, for some of you all who have not had the, the pleasure to meet her before, um, let me just share a little bit about her background. Um, Linnell Gilbert is well known, highly regarded in the fields of community development and philanthropy. For nine years, she served as a senior program officer um, at the Ford Foundation, specializing in programming and grant making related to community philanthropy and civic culture in the U.S. and abroad. In this role, she led several initiatives, including community philanthropy, race and equity in the American South Initiative, the U.S.-Mexico Board of Philanthropy Partnership, the Gulf Coast Transformation Initiative, as well as Ford's investments in community philanthropy globally. A significant amount of her work has been focused on expanding the definition of community philanthropy to represent the various pools and types of philanthropic capital to be organized for the betterment of communities. In 2008, Ms. Gilbert received the Robert W. Shriver Award for Creative Grant Making and the Critical Impact Award from the U.S. Council of, uh, of Foundations in D.C. Upon completion of her commitment to the Ford Foundation in 2010, she returned to her home of New Orleans, Louisiana, where she now co-leads with Dr. Claire Gadini the Declaration Initiative, a movement to inspire American philanthropy to lead with communities to end generational poverty in the United States by 2026, which is going to be the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Um, last year, we launched as a network, uh, the Lynetta Gilbert Service Award, um, which was given in honor of our 15th year of giving, and that was presented to Michelle and Lindsay Mills on behalf of our network. Um, so without further ado, uh, we'll open it up for this conversation, and I'll just start really um, by, uh, let me frame it this way. We will have, this will be a conversation Ms. Gilbert will share with us. So if we have questions, we'll take those. Um, but obviously we do want to take a moment to um, hear from her um, and for her just to address. So I'll kick it off um, to you at this moment. Ms. Gilbert, you know, just thinking of this moment in time where we are, um, if you could define that moment and where you think we are, um, in the context of our country and the intersection of where that may overlap with philanthropy, uh, what would you say and how do you think the role of philanthropy, uh, what, that, what should that role of philanthropy be at this moment? So we did a lot of work 
And a lot of the work had to do with America understanding democracy and, and really caring enough about democracy that every person would have the opportunity to you know, live life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I'm not doing that. I stopped that in 2012. Um, and I wanted to say to you also that um, in this moment, we are where we're supposed to be in the city, in, in the states, and globally. We have allowed ourselves as individuals in our various countries to give away the most precious things that have, were presented to us when we had the opportunity to live in a democracy. We've been throwing it away bit by bit, and we now are facing a big um, avalanche, I won't even say shift, where we could really level off and redefine democracy. That's where we are as a country. As Black people, because we didn't get to write those aspirational words that are in the Constitution or in the Declaration of Initiative, we now have a chance to redefine democracy so that it works for our, the next generations. We can use the aspiration of, the, of any of our founding documents. And now we can say clearly, we've begun to meet the, to raise the bar educationally, um, in, intellectually. Um, we can perform and do anything extremely well. What we now are saying is we want more access to do that. Philanthropy comes in in any way that we want it to come in. Now, some of you know that in addition to doing the community philanthropy work when I was at Ford, I also funded the DEI initiative. I funded the, the President's Council where all these CEOs or, or executive vice presidents sat together to talk about how they were going to fix themselves, how they were going to uh, diversify their boards, hire more people of color who had skills in the area that would allow them to be much more in tune with what communities needed. You name it, in the, in the 30 years of my life, and certainly in the 10 years at Ford, I've spent I can't tell you how much time talking with philanthropy leaders about what should be. Where we are now is what's going to be. Now, philanthropy has the opportunity to, to allow people to come together, help people to come together and understand that we each have some work to do. As independent donors, you can convene some of those conversations and they're gonna be hard ones because white people all over America are asking, what can I do? And then some of them will be told what to do and they'll go off and do it in their corporations, in their churches, you know, you name it. But when it gets too hard, when they see how hardened some hearts are in this country, they're gonna come back to you and they're gonna say, Terry, this is so hard. I just, I don't think I can do it. And I want each one of you to say, put your hand on your sh their shoulder and say, I know it's hard. It was hard every time my mother tried to get me into school and they said I wasn't qualified. I know it's hard. It was hard for me to graduate from XYZ college, but I did it. I know it's hard. It was hard for me when I tried to do any number of things and, and then say, but you know what? You're going to get through it. I did. I know you can. This is a moment where we don't let up. We continue to find ways for people, help people find ways for them to accept the fact that there is something called equality. And equality is more than just sitting next to each other. 
that we must and can demand more of our nation. We shouldn't have charter schools running amok in every, um, you shouldn't have, have uh, charter schools running amok all, in every city in the nation. And not one of us can say we have an excellent public school system because we've given that away. Now in Birmingham, the Birmingham Change Fund, if any of you are on from there, remember one of your first projects that you presented to me was you were gonna work with public education. And I looked at you and I said, you must be crazy, that's not gonna work. But you went forward. And some of you went forward in such a way that you took leadership positions and you helped to begin to turn the system around. We still have to do that. Whether it's education, health, social work, we still have to do that. What your philanthropic leadership and your philanthropic dollars, which come next or later, what you can do is to prove that a new way of functioning can work. Um, so I think you guys got the gist of it, right? Or not? Talk back to me. We're all on mute, but we get it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, one question I wanted to ask you is why do you think you were created? Why do you think the giving circles were developed? To create the change that wasn't happening. And how, how, did, how, how was that imagined that you would do it? How was it imagined? Meaning like by putting the financial resources behind it? And what else? The brain power and leveraging the power of other foundations as well, such as the Ford Foundation and wherever we try to house our funds. But more importantly, you guys had to learn something about the places where you were living and working. You didn't, nobody said you, you need to fund education. You said that to me. And remember, I was really not, I was very dour about that. But you had a vision and you took it on and you did some work and you're continuing probably to do some of that work. That, what you were doing, philanthropy has got to be a, almost prophetic in its work. We are charged to use our resources over time. And so just as you began to make some headway in the school system, well, then you saw another area where you wanted to do work. That's okay. But I'm feeling fine these days because how old are you all now? 20, 15 years, <laughs> right? I'm feeling great because you're still at it. We saw back then that there would be a need for some young and older black people to be in place and able to speak and act. Now, we didn't know there was gonna be a pandemic, no. We certainly didn't know that we would all publicly witness a lynching in Minneapolis. But we knew there had to be people like yourselves who could see it and say, you know, we're not gonna have that happen anymore in our community because here's some things we're gonna do. So you were set up to do the work of making democracy real. That's what, that's what I, the work I did in the Board of Philanthropy Project. They were set up to imagine no border. Now they didn't have a clue that we'd get a president who then wanted to build, you know, oh. right. But th what they learned about it and what America started learning is there really isn't a border. The people in Laredo, Texas, part of them live there and another part of their family lives across the street in Laredo, Mexico. All along that border, there's that dichotomy. And what they're now learning is that economic impact of that border wall 
is driving business in America along the border crazy because most of their of their traffic was across the border. People would come to grocery shop in the United States side of the border and take it back home. The Mexican side, yeah, they would do some shopping too. They had some businesses over there, but it's the U.S. businesses that are hurting. So part of the work of philanthropy is to try to explain to people what's really going on in these communities. And I, I say community-based is so important because really that's where we're supposed to be generating the ideas, formulating some local legislation. It's where we're supposed to be make, making the voices of families heard and acted upon. And then that floats up, not the reverse, that we get somebody elected and they go to Congress and then they tell us what's gonna happen. That's not how that's supposed to work. We have a representative democracy. So when I went to the Ford Foundation, it, you know, it was glamorous. I was excited. I didn't even know it was glamorous at the time. All I knew is I wasn't supposed to be there. That was what I thought. Because everybody I knew at Ford was three times greater than I. So I didn't think I was supposed to be there, but I was supposed to be there. Because I then said to Ford, well, you said you were a social justice organization. Well, let's get on with that. If you're gonna fund these big organizations like the Council on Foundations, let's call them into account. You know, they fund community foundations. Community foundations are racist and they're separatist. What are you gonna do about that? Are we gonna keep? So that was my job inside of big philanthropy. Your job now is to say, okay, community foundations, you're all crying now, everybody's upset. You know, what are we gonna do? We're here to help you figure out what to do. We've been here 15 years. I'm not on not one of your committees yet. We've been here 15 years. Not one of you is, have asked us to speak about the foundation and our work as uh, giving circles. I'm here, I'm not going away. So accountability is a big part of what you're called to do. And if you feel like you're not aligned values wise with the uh, places where your funds are, then you need to be having another conversation with your members about do we stay here or do we go? But you get to make those choices because you're independent. All four did was match your money for some of you. And that the reason that I didn't want to count money raised is that I want you to understand it's out of your wealth that you're giving to make the change, then you would get a whole lot more uh, careful about evaluating what's happening with your money. So your genesis was about the absence of black leadership, visible black leadership, real black leadership that would speak to issues of the disenfranchised and the marginalized inside of philanthropy. That's what you were groomed to do. Whether you're a medical doctor, you get into a medical practice and you see, well, I can't get the resources I need for the, the people over here. You started out giving $250 a year as a first line member in your giving circle. 15 years later, you should be able to do better than that. And you should be able to say what that money is going to change. And if you haven't been blessed enough to do better than that, then keep giving the $250 and include encouraging other people to add to yours. But that's what the concept was. We didn't see enough black young people, which said to me, we're not going to have a lot of black old people in position in, in 15 or 20 years in these civic positions or in these foundations. I know, I know I'm not fussing at you. I'm just, I'm just excited that you want to talk about it. You know, I'll, I'll say that I remember when we started the Birmingham Change Fund, one of the, the, the key lessons that I took away that I think the beauty of what 
your intentionality was is that it allowed us to see ourselves as philanthropists, even though it's something that as we know as a people of color that we've been doing um, our lives and, and is in the context of who we are um, just as a people and for generations. Um, and I think some of the beauty of what we've been able to do as we've continued and, and given is trying to make sure that other people um, that look like us, especially younger people, also see themselves in that same lens. Um, and I, I think that it, from a legacy standpoint, I think that is probably one of the most powerful things um, that we can own. And over the years, I wonder from your perspective, since you were really just trying to make sure there, that people of color were in the right positions at these foundations or um, whether on the national or local level, have you seen the appropriate or do you think you witnessed the shift that you envisioned um, when you were at the Ford Foundation or do you, I mean, obviously there's probably still more work that can be done, but, but do you think that you have seen more of a shift um, in leadership and accountability? So I, the giving circles were not about more black people in, in organized philanthropy. That was AbFi's job, the Association of Black Foundation Executives. I was concerned that we needed more black civic leaders who were also donors in those communities. Some of you may remember, I said, it, in some places, if you show up and you give towards some big cause and it's $100, they don't publish that Marsha gave $100. They just put Marsha Morgan, donor. Well, if you do that enough, your name, people say, well, she must be somebody. She's always there and she's at this meeting and she's giving on that. Then you get appointed to something, right? That's what happened with the Birmingham Change Fund. Some of you got appointed to, to uh, re interview the incoming superintendent of schools, as I recall. Is that right, Katina? Um, yes, Lord and, and Randall both served, um, were elected as school board. They were elected, but before being elected, the Birmingham Community Foundation, because they thought you all were interesting and cute, they asked, I don't know which ones of you, to serve on the selection committee for the superintendent of schools that was coming in. And, and when I got the phone call, I said, that's wonderful. That's part of what I'd like to see because it's the leadership, the voice in your places, as well as abroad, that can make the difference. So what I was trying to do, yes, I funded the Association of Black Foundation Executives big time so that they would continue to do the work to nurture new black people coming into philanthropy, older black people in philanthropy, um, push for in, uh, promotions, of black people in these big foundations. That was their work. And, and Ambassador James Joseph started that foundation, that organization. He's a mentor of mine. He not only did that, but he was always talking about the traditions of giving among people of color in this country. And he served as the head of the Council on Foundations for many years. In his leadership role, he kept turning out information, materials about giving traditions, and he kept trying to send the message that, that that was important. Well, I got the message. I got it because I worked in a community foundation that marginalized, in the field, they marginalized people of color as donors or board members. So if you had like at the Greater New Orleans Foundation, when I worked there, we had some black people, very uh, powerful, influential black people on the board. But were they asked to do anything major to speak about joblessness or homelessness or any of the things that our city was hurting about? Mm -mm. They were just glad to have the vice president of Dillard University, the president of Xavier University, uh, the former first lady of the city sitting on the board because it suggested to the public that these people were working on behalf or moving money into communities to make change. Well, that wasn't necessarily the case. So when I saw that, 
And when I saw that national funders were funding us to do that work, and when that money dried up, the, the community foundation, not just the Greater New Orleans Foundation, but others that got these national grants, when the money dried up, so did the programming. In some cases, they dismissed the black person or the person of color they had hired or the woman they had hired to do the work. They said, we don't have the money to do this anymore. That said to me that my job gave me an opportunity to groom some people who wouldn't necessarily, they didn't have to want to work in the community foundation. They didn't need to work inside of it, but they needed to be able to manipulate it like everybody else, manage it, push the issues, why don't, why do we have such a low graduation rate? Are you funding, if I'm sitting on this board, what neighborhoods are you sending grants to and how much? Why is it always $5,000? I gave you $5,000 to put in the pool fund. You mean you couldn't give any more than that back to the neighborhoods? So those are the kinds of questions, you know, I have to ask it in the way that I've posed it, but you, part of the job of being a good philanthropist is to be a provocateur to push, and the other part of it is to be a good talent scout, to find these community-based organizations that are not necessarily gonna grow up to be you know, 20 or $30 million organizations, but they will be solid million-dollar organizations that are asking the hard question, and they become the thorn in the side of the larger organizations who are not doing the work. And that thorn can end up with their getting some of the money from the large organizations to do the work, or that thorn can be they expose them to a larger audience where somebody, then more voices start to say, well, my goodness, why aren't you working in this way? But only if there are voices that understand how philanthropy operates and who are givers at whatever level, only if those voices are there and knowledgeable can you push for change. You know, I, a, a lot of my husband and I had a, a fund at the Greater New Orleans Foundation, but most of my money went to Christian Unity Baptist Church. Why? Because we were doing more programming in the neighborhood that my, our church served than I could get out of the Greater New Orleans Foundation. but I understood how that giving had, had to work. You know, and I brought some of the donors over to see the programs in our neighborhood, whether or not the church was funding it. That's, that began to push those funders, those donors to say, oh, well, Lynetta, why isn't the foundation funding it? So I'm just trying to say to you that part of your job when you started and part of a great part of it now is to know enough about your communities, the, the nonprofits that are doing the work, make some, continue to give those gifts that you've been giving, and then provoke people to ask the questions, why or why not? You don't have to be empowered by a larger foundation to take someone that you've met at a business dinner over to see some, um, program that you really believe has merit and that your giving circle is interested in looking at it. And at this point in your life, you can say, well, you know, we're looking at funding this group. Would you like to partner with us? Your money can still be at the community foundation, but you can do a whole lot in the absence of the community foundation to just move the cause along. Miss Jackie Griffin, that's, you knew I was looking for you. <laughs> what do you think about what I said? I think what you're saying is excellent. Uh, it was, for me, it's what we've already lived. So like one of the questions that I would have is, what would you be, now the, the other giving circles are all predominantly younger folks. Where our giving circle is very, very seasoned, recruiting younger folks. Mm -hmm. So, my question would be, if we recognize, and I wrote them down, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten points that you just gave us, what is something that we can put as an, an action task 
for a seasoned group that really understands everything you just said. Where, where are you located? Columbia, South Carolina. What do you think are some of the top three prevailing issues in your community that need attention? In addition, well, outside of education or in, in addition to education, it would be our poverty levels. Uh, mm, homelessness and transportation for those, for people who are having problems getting to and from jobs. Does your circle understand anything at all about um, the transportation issues? Yes. What have you written about? meetings with a, a young man who's just been hired as the, um, he just was hired to, to be in charge of our transportation, our bus transportation here. So what kind of research have you done? Um, and written, have you written any uh, op-eds or? Um... No. We, so, we done research and we've worked with uh, other community organizations including John the young man who has just been hired for for the transportation and additional community work however we've not written anything we've not put anything in print mm -hmm. well I, I just picked writing as one thing but essentially you need to pick one or two areas that you want to focus on or that, that you think the organization can your giving circle can get behind and do the research then you need to come to some agreement as a group of donors about the so what of the research so we know that it takes people two hours to get to work one way every day and that they only make eight dollars an hour when they get there how would you you have to figure out a way to write about that so that you can capture the attention of others who may have taken it for granted but not understood it at the level that you discovered. So you wanna really start to build a case. But when you said, what would you call, what would I tell you to do right now? The same thing these other giving circles have been doing. They've been selecting an issue, researching it, uh, talking about it and figuring out what do we do next? Do we fund it? Do we, um, invite them to speak at a, a, a dinner party? Um, do we write an op-ed? You know, um, if we fund it, how much do we have to fund it? How often, or how long can we fund it? So those are the things you have to do. Mostly, Jackie, you have to have courage and you have to have commitment to get, you know, to move forward on something. Would you say that, Terry? Absolutely. Um, I think in terms of the commitment that you just spoke of, it, it goes back to that center conversation of what is it that we want to see an impact on or what is it that we have collectively decided this is where we want to focus our energy, this is where we want to focus and see a change and the action items of what do we need to do to have that change happen. Um, reflecting on what we is doing and has done in recent days. Um, just the collective action of responding to COVID and taking a collective giving group and working with other giving circles in the area and the community foundation, the BPI task force that's there to make a collective grant in the community. What was a $10,000 gift from us turning into $40,000 because of the work and the research that we put into which areas do we want to focus on. Um, are we going to focus on just one, one area or if it's more than one area, do we say equal amounts to each of these areas? No. Finding out what it is we wanted to invest in each of those areas um, for a change for that uh, situation that came up. So it was a COVID response grant that we made in that uh, time period. We had a set time frame of when we wanted to grant and the amount that we wanted to give to those uh, organizations or areas work. And so to see that action happening as a response to a global pandemic literally had nothing planned out. We did not realize 
oh, well, if we do this next year, we can expect it was more of a, these are immediate needs and this is how we can work and how we can operate to make this change happen. Um, so seeing that happen from a distance, obviously we're all in a virtual environment, because that question of how do we still make sure relevant? How do we make sure that the impact that we're looking for is still being made or managed? And also, are we being diligent in making sure that the voices of need are being met? Or are we doing something that's self-serving? Are we saying we want to be a part of a $40,000 gift, but we gave $40,000 to an organization that didn't need it? That wouldn't have been so. Making sure that we're doing due diligence, make sure that the actions that we're taking to address the needs of our community are the right ones. And then secondly, um, moving, I guess, more to the most recent things, using that collective voice to show this is the power of people that are our age, our demographic, um, and this is what we want to see happen. We can come together and say we're willing to put this much in terms of dollar resources, this much in terms of time or talent or intellectual investment um, towards these goals, be it PPE acquisition for COVID-19, be it social justice ref reformation for working with the police department because you have industry leaders that actually know about the prison system and pipeline to prison system. So gaining some of our understanding contributing to the policy change that needs to happen. Those are the things that we're gathering and garnering in give circles right now, I would say, that I'm, that I'm trying to make this happening. Um, if I have a voice to be able to say it, you're giving circles to do this, and this is the way that you should do it. It may not be best for you in your area because I don't understand the landscape of Miss Jackie, Columbia, South Carolina. I do understand that policy to be reviewed no matter where you're at because it's not working for us. So mm -hmm. it may not work the same there, but mm -hmm. some examination has to happen there. So if I had the opportunity to talk to you or your giving circle or anybody that you have influence with, that's what I'm going to do. If I have the opportunity to show the leverage of dollars and how it can work for you in your community, this is what REIT did. It may not work for you. You may not have another three, three giving circles that are willing to invest dollars, but you might have one church that is willing to, or you might have one civic organization that is willing to partner with you to, to make the impact of what you're trying to do that much greater. That's the only thing at this point that I feel like I can do to make sure that your efforts are not done in vain. Now, I want to say something that I noticed in the chat and I heard um, Jackie mention, but she said, we're a more mature group. And then somebody in the chat said, and we're not getting any younger. Um, you, you all were supposed to proliferate. Um, I, I told uh, Daryl Lester, I didn't fund, there was another group um, of giving circles emerging on the West Coast and in Canada. And um, I was interested until the, the developer said something about, oh yeah, and we've had lots of marriages and, and, we, and um, we, they, we socialize and this and that. And, well, you can tell, I like fun, but you can tell when work is supposed to get done, work's supposed to get done. So I was kind of turned off by that. Um, and I'm just saying that to put a little humor in our situation. In your cases, though, you should be, you should be generating new circles or addition, younger circles. So Marsha was in her 20s, I guess, when I met you, huh? Okay, so... Yes, I am. I still am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But there's nothing the matter with um, thinking about, you know, next generation uh, donors. And I, I say that because, you know, we have young people who are, younger people who are, um, many of them are doing very well financially because they've decided not to go to college and they're entrepreneurs, or some of them are working at jobs, um, like our parents started out in the utility company and the utility company is paying pretty well now. So they're, you know, moving up in their um, 
jobs, but they're not necessarily uh, college graduates. I think you, it, every one of the giving circles ought to be looking at new donors to the, either to the original giving circle or helping to start some others. The folks in, in Denver just overwhelmed me at the conference, just sitting there um, knowing that they started out with DAP and now that where they have four or five circles um, and it's almost like anybody who wants to can get in a circle, you know, that that's exciting. And they're, they're giving strategically. So I think from what we've seen on the streets these last 10 or 12 days, there is a ready group of people who are willing to think about change, but they also need to be thinking about how do they influence it? And it's not gonna always be just with their voice. They're gonna to need to come into the conversation maybe with some resources. That could be money, it could be other things. Um, so please do think about um, not necessarily the original members moving out of, this, out of your um, giving circles, but certainly you're bringing some new folks in. Um, the other thing I think, when we started with the giving circles, we knew there was some black wealth, high end, high net worth black wealth in America. We weren't able to get to it. Well, in the last week or two, how many people have you heard who are making big money, who are black, be outraged with what's happened in America? And some of those people came from your hometown. Some of them are uh, professional sports people. I mean, we really have to, what I would say is we have to um, pump up the volume on your marketing of what you're telling people about your donor work. Um, I went to a uh, workshop on behalf of another group that I, of philanthropy that I'm on the board of a couple of weeks ago. It's called, I think it's called the Center for um, Strategic for strategic narratives, I'll, I'll find it and send it to you. Um, and there, the workshop was just for philanthropy, just for people who were, are live donors, um, or they are CEOs or program people in philanthropy at all levels, trustees. And the, the workshop was around changing the narrative of philanthropy, fabulous. Now, I would say if the, as a network, if you could get um, the Just Transition funders who funded this, this organization to do the workshop or Gates or Kellogg to fund that for CIN, it would be amazing. It was a two day online experience, uh, four hours each day. Um, we use Zoom and we use so many different features of Zoom and other uh, tech, uh, technological platforms with it. And we interacted as small groups and as a full group, but we had to really delve into the, what does it mean to tell a story? All the technical parts of storytelling, et cetera. I'm saying, sharing that with you because you need to, you're doing a wonderful job with what you're saying now, but we need to pump up the volume on that. We need to let people know that you are, your giving circles are an alternative to the more formalized um, institutions of philanthropy and that you function in your places where you live. Um, so I, I would encourage that of you um, and maybe one of those donors that I've mentioned foundations would do it, would, you know, uh, cover the cost of it. I don't have the, uh, any idea. They're in California. That's the other thing, you know, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm originally from New York State and I live in New Orleans, but there's something about those California thinkers. You feel like you're in, you've already moved into the next 10 years when you're in those groups. So I think that would be something that the board should certainly consider doing. I wanted to go back to one other thing. I know we're running close on time, but Joy, I, I keep looking at you and I remember 
when you started the um, Circle of Joy, mm -hmm. you're, I think it was you who had um, an interest in criminal justice issues for women, was it? Was it your group? No, but in our circle, we, we, we focus a lot with women and we, we, are, we are intentional and we focus with children, but actually this year we've done a lot with black girls and black women. So um, as we grow, and I know you talked about this a little bit earlier, but as we grow, as we are now 12, um, I can definitely see the evolution. Um, I look at Birmingham Change Fund as a sister circle. Cause I can kind of look at them as big brothers, big sisters, and they kind of guide it to, to, to show us like, you know, you can be intentional about your giving. You can even change your course, your path, because you might figure out that maybe that's not your ministry anymore, mm -hmm. or that's not the ministry that God gave you with your circle collectively. Um, and so, you know, being that, being strategic and being intentional and knowing that we are the change that we want to be and we can go however we can support the issues that we want to nobody we don't have to go with white normalcy we don't have to go with you know what the trend is um and we can stick to it when terry talked about being consistent and being intentional and being committed um i feel like that is really really um core of our given circles and cin and the connectivity to the network as a whole um when you talk about the youth, we actually have some interns that are having giving circles. So we are speak, we are going to try to push that forward um, as, as a network and try to teach them uh, or give them the exposure so that they can know what it is that they really want to, you know, jump into um, what initiatives and what, um, what um, issues in their community or partnerships in their community that they can really be engaged in. I think that the, the, great gift or jewel of CIN is that we have so much history in it and we have people like you that we can turn to that can kind of guide us when we might go wrong or give us some insight to some things that we just are not familiar with because we haven't been exposed to. One of the things that happened with the Circle of Joy was none of us were philanthropists in the sense of institutionalized philanthropy, um, just givers because of, that's how we grew up, right? Not necessarily that you know, I had to look to you and Daryl to tell me what was happening in the industry. I didn't know that people wouldn't want to take our money because I think that everybody should take money because I would take money, but it's definitely politics and politics in this game called philanthropy. So, um, you know, our, our world um, is, is different, but I can see the growth of me personally as a philanthropist um, because of the work that you all have done, the work that um, everybody who's on this call has done because we pour into each other. And even if we don't say, you know, I'm really proud of what Birmingham is doing. I am really proud of what Birmingham is doing. I am really proud of what Cola Gibbs is doing. They've been able to give to their community. And although it may seem small to them, um, it's big to everybody in that church and those uh, food pantries that have gotten gifts. I know that they know that that is very, very big. And that helps out the people who are receiving those and that are not. I know a lot of times we look at it like, oh, I'm just doing a little something because um, I can't do a lot. But a little is a lot to those that actually receive. And it's a lot. And in the 12 years that I've been involved with Community Investment Network, I can see how I got so much more out of my giving and my connections to giving than I feel like even the people that I gave to that said they got a lot out of it. So. Okay. I was, I was, what I was reaching for in that question was that some of you identified challenges when you started that really became big challenges in your communities. I can't remember who it was that was dealing with the criminal justice um, issues in the South, in their community, um, but you see where we are now. Uh, well, uh, in gap with um, the barber Tim. Mm -hmm. Remember his his uh, with the barber uh, school and helping the the incarcerated. Right, because they were kind of they were having people who were leaving, coming out of prison, and they wouldn't have a, a profession or a job, and right. they would be looked down by the uh, down upon by the uh, citizens of the community. So. Um, I, I want to tell you that your intuition and your um, point of, of uh, view it 
It's very important to the decisions that you make. Lord Watson is by the hardest really trying to get people in his town right now to understand that black wealth, black economic development is critical to Birmingham. And he's doing it with a vehicle that he is developing, but you know, it's hard work. What are we looking at now? What are people saying? Yes, the police brutality is, is out of control, but black people have not gotten their fair share in this democratic republic. And so now people are talking about how do we do black economic development? Just remember in your giving circles that you don't have to be a one note Susie or, or Sam, you, you don't have to do something that, as some, what did you call it, white uh, normalcy. You don't have to deal with that. You can pay attention to what's happening in your community and direct your energies and your wealth towards that. And some of the people who have wealth in your communities who don't want to be in the giving circles, they might want to join you in supporting something after you've done research and all to, to make them feel welcome. I, I'm sorry, I'm not watching. I'm watching the time, but not the chat and not the moderator. So um, I'm going to give it back to you, um, Marcia. All right, thank you. So I will open it up just, we have like two minutes and I do want to be um, respectful of everyone's time. So we'll take one question if someone has a question that they would like to ask. Okay. I have one question. This is Norma Blocker coming from Columbia, South Carolina, what a call gives. And I want to ask this question to Terry. Could you define for me exactly what you mean by the word heartening because with another organization? Because you said that you went from $10,000 to $40,000. And I wanted to know, define your concept of partnering. So <laughs> was, I don't know if semantics and understanding of that. So I'll just explain what we did and why I say the word partnership. Um, Real Engagement Through Active Philanthropy uh, decided we want to make a donation or a grant in the community to, at the time we did not know exactly what service or what industry that would still be um, addressing the needs of 19 response. Um, but we did have a kind of a break to say that we see have an immediate need that are not being funded by traditional philanthropy. Traditional philanthropy has the, are you a 501c3? Um, what is your current board of directors looking like? Who are you serving? Does it meet this criteria? But this grant doesn't fit this, et cetera, et cetera. So, understanding that donor advised giving circle, Greek could say, this is how we want these dollars to be spent and invested in the community, allow us to grant to this organization. Well, in that partnership, uh, the Black Philanthropic Initiative and the African American Women's Giving and Empowerment Circle, AAWEGC, I forget what the actual acronym stands for, so I apologize if anybody's on this call that is from there. I'm not trying to butcher it. But the Women's Giving Circle in Phoenix um, and the Black Philanthropic Initiative Task Force also said, we see this need. We understand that needs are not being met with traditional philanthropy. We want to do it as well. So the partnership comes to the plate in saying that each of these organizations, we have to put $10,000 towards this collective grant in whatever area the three organizations have a representative from that organization serve on a grants committee to choose and say these are the uh, areas of focus. Um, one was a nurses uh, organization, another was a need for food, and another was a need for um, I'm sorry, I really cannot remember. It was three different uh, areas of focus. There was a $20,000 grant, a $10,000 grant, and a, 
I'm sorry, a five, a 15, and a $20,000 grant, I think are the three amounts that were given to each of those three respective groups. The partnership came in saying that there was a representative from each of the three funding organizations that said, we have the backing of our group that says that the $10,000 that have been invested from REAP or the $10,000 that have been invested from the Women's Giving Circle or the $10,000 invested from the Black Philanthropic Initiative are directed to be spent in XYZ areas. And we are in agreement, and we are in agreement with this amount for each of these organizations and finding which organization was to be um, the recipient of those grants dollars. That partnership or uh, so to speak, I say, came from the aspect of we all understood collective giving, we all understood the needs that were there, and understood that we are donating to a collective grant, and that collective grant was by our voice or our, our desires. Did that answer? Or it does answer the question, but my, my, uh, my other question was, do they want to become a part of your giving circle? Or did they become so, a part? No, they were their own individual philanthropic entities. So the African American Women's Giving Circle is a giving circle that operates and has their own programming and um, okay. their own uh, in the area that they usually give and grant to. Um, this was a collective gift that was funded by three giving circles to the impact of COVID-19. I got it. Thank you so much. I'm glad you asked that question. I just quickly want to say that as you're expanding your giving circle, you need to interview people and be sure that as much as you can, that they are on the same wavelength. They have similar values and um, similar, similar expectations from the giving circle um, so that you don't spend a lot of your time um, convincing people of, of um, the ways of operating that you've already designed. Um, eventually, once they're in, then there may be some modifications you make just because the group agrees to, but you wanna be careful that people don't come in and all of a sudden they have the idea and they're running off with, with the, uh, something that you had in a way that you would not normally have gone. One of the conversations that uh, that Ms. Gilbert has been um, with giving circles that I've had an opportunity to speak with. I pulled one, two, or 10 of your members aside and asked, what is it that giving circle A, B, or C does or is about? If I don't have the same answer from all of them, or at least something that's similar in stance, that we're a group of young men or women that gives towards education um, or that wants to see a change in the Birmingham area and the area of education, healthcare economics, what have you, then something needs to happen from the leadership standpoint of that organization to make sure that that membership body understands the focus that that group has. Because otherwise, there are a lot of agendas that could be there that are trying to come to the surface that may not come to fruition or change that somebody wants to see that others may not be focused on having happen. So whenever I have the opportunity to have that question with Giving Circle leaders, it's always something that I hope is taken and accepted um, to make sure that if you don't have that strategic direction for your group, that you're working on it or crafting it for them. And, and um, I'll, let me add, because I, I think, from what I heard from Cola Gives, a lot of the questions may be really around um, the outreach recruiting and making sure that, you know, your giving circle kind of continues to be sustained and grow. So, you know, there are a number of things that I know even within the Birmingham Change Fund that we have talked about, whether that's starting like a junior Birmingham Change Fund so we can mentor um, a younger giving circle and so hopefully even help some of that, that dynamic may even mean us help offset some of their membership investments every year um, on a tiered level basis until they're able to pay what it would be to be a full member of our given circle. Um, there are also other organizations. Um, you have the Urban League Young Professionals. There may be other 
junior boards or other organizations in your community that have people of color that have the interest, but don't ever neglect, you know, your circle. You may have a niece, a nephew, or a cousin um, that's in their 20s or 30s that's maybe passionate about giving and, and doing things for the community or even someone in your church. Um, but we'll be glad from a network perspective, if you are, I would like to talk through that some more and just get some more ideas. You know, we are always here to help you think through some of those partnerships and what some of the other circles have done. So uh, we'll be glad to follow up with you on that. Um, Ms. Gilbert, I'd like to just give you a few moments if you have some closing thoughts or remarks um, before we uh, prepare to close out with announcements. Well, um... I'm counting on you. I'm counting on all of you um, to seize this moment to prove that philanthropy really can um, be generous and nice, that it can help democracy live um, in this country in a fair and equal way. And that when we say fair and equal, that we are also, that philanthropy can also help to create centers of excellence in every community in America. I know that's a big, a tall order. You don't have to do all of that alone, but your influence, which is something else that comes along with philanthropy, your influence um, will go a long way to have helping some of those outcomes to happen. People watch you. They listen to what you say. Some people will begin to ask, well, where did you, where did you get that? Or what book are you reading? Remember, those are still basic things. People want to be their best. They're not always. And so through philanthropy, we get the chance to dream and we, we either garner or have the resources to make the dream happen. So I'm just really, um, I'm counting on the, these giving circles to, as Daryl always said, to flip the script and that we get to witness it ourselves. So wish I had a lesser challenge for you, but you're up to it, you can do it. And thank you so much. I'm available to you. I will make the time available to just help work through with you, whatever I can. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think that um, you have um, left us with a very uh, weighty challenge um, that we will um, strive to accomplish um, because we do understand the power of this moment and where we are centered and um, the leverage and influence that we have with our collective voices in our local communities near and far. Um, so thank you for taking time this afternoon just to share with us. Um, we do not take it for granted. So as I prepare to close out, I do want to just remind you all that um, this is a part, this conversation was a part of our um, what we're calling Fertile Fridays, which is just our attempt to share, to provide some time for us to connect, um, given things that are currently going on. Um, and so last week we had a check-in call. Today we have been giving a very hefty and tall charge that we're going to rise to the occasion of for Mrs. Gilbert. Um, next Friday, well, pardon me, on Monday, if you can, um, there is, join us for a conversation uh, with uh, philanthropy together uh, to talk about the actions that can be leveraged collectively to create change in support of Black communities. Um, that is on this upcoming Monday at uh, 1 Eastern. Also on Friday, Juneteenth, um, you know, we will not dare compete with what's going to happen in Tulsa, but we have something even more <laughs> dynamic that is taking place and that will be highlighting um, the men of our network that are doing great work and that are um, allowing us as we celebrate Juneteenth but also who have shown us a path forward as it relates to collective giving. giving. And this is really um, powerful because it, number one it gives us a chance to 
create this narrative around the good that our black men are doing in the community. And so we'll have representatives from Reap a lot, DAP, and 260 Change Fund just sharing with us. And, and Terry Love, um, our vice chair, is going to moderate a discussion with them about collective giving and how they are leveraging their influence in this moment. Um, and then the following Friday, excuse me, this, we are actually having a conversation about uh, repeat trauma as it relates to um, racial battle fatigue, which is going to be led by Dr. Aisha Russo, who is a part of SPIN. Um, and so that will be the last series in our July series of Fertile Fridays. And then in June, I mean, in June, the last uh, leg of our Fertile Fridays. But then in June, we on Thursday, July 9th, we're going to hear uh, from the Denver Foundation, Porus Foundation, and Kellogg Foundation, um, where we're going to talk about how they have uh, met the needs of their grantees and also created a way to continue to support their communities um, given recent the health crisis and um, obviously the continued crisis as it relates to racial justice. So I think that will also be a great opportunity for us to connect as a network and share these opportunities with others. So I encourage you to join. If you have not joined our private Facebook group, please do so. We also have a members only portal where resources will be available on um, our website. So um, it's always, if you uh, have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Um, one last announcement, Joy mentioned we have interns. Those interns are available in a limited capacity to our circles um, over the summer. So. Ms. Jackie, uh, you mentioned, you know, just we talked about the storytelling piece and amplifying some of the work. So maybe our interns can help you think through what that may look like uh, for your circle and, and kind of create a marketing plan and strategy um, so that you can create more awareness around the good things that you all are doing. So um, if there, any of the other circles have um, similar work, social media marketing type work, let us know so that we can help you and, and plug you in to our interns. So with that, um, please know we are um, grateful for the time we've had together this afternoon. Ms. Gilbert, we do not ever take lightly the opportunity to hear from you, um, to be inspired and motivated and reminded um, that we still have work to do, um, but also recognizing the fact that, you know, we have to keep dreaming big and we're being mindful of the power that we do have together collectively. So thank you again for joining us. And with that, I'll end today's call. Thank you. Thank you.